Madison over it. It is Madison! And he's done it! A phenomenal free kick from James Madison! Hello there and welcome to the latest episode of the By The Minute AFC podcast. We want to wish you a belated Happy New Year. Uh, We're back, we're back for 2018. All we can promise you this year is we'll try and be a little bit funnier than only an excuse was. Now with that being said, we've got the band back together this evening. As always, we've got Richard Hay here. How are you doing Richard? Uh, Yeah, I definitely make no promises on the only excuse front. (laughs) And we've not heard from him in a while, but we're delighted to have back Grant Fiskin. How are you doing, Grant? I'm still alive, thanks, Martin. Everything okay in Poland? It's all good, all good. Good to hear. Now, we've got a lot to talk about with a packed show this evening. Uh, We're going to go hark back to what seems like an age ago now, um, where the the first game that happened since we last had a podcast, which was our unfortunately visit to Parkhead. Now, Richard, uh, despite it being much closer than in previous attempts down there in terms of I think we got a lot closer to them it's it's just yet another hard luck story down there isn't it? It is and it isn't uh, obviously I think you do need everything to go your way to get a result at Parkhead generally speaking even before the game we were without for various reasons for first team regulars really and as the first half went on I thought we competed very well we actually had a game plan to get up the pitch which sometimes we haven't uh, had against Celtic lately and you know we were creating some chances and very much in the game with what was uh, quite a makeshift side. Celtic's first goal is is very fortunate with the deflection, certainly you could argue that we should have been closing down quicker. Once again, like it has been quite often in games of this size, like against uh, the Rangers a couple of times this season, indeed last season, the response to losing the goal simply wasn't good enough. Second half we came out, obviously Celtic are going to get lifted, the home crowd's going to get lifted, they're going to be the front foot, you've got to accept that. But it seemed like the game plan that we had in that first half had been completely forgotten. We were sitting 20 yards further back, we weren't being as proactive on the ball, it was just a really, really disappointing uh, response and it just looked like it was just waiting until the second goal went in. It was really just a, a lot of luck that uh, it didn't happen earlier. And we were just at the stage, we'd actually just created a couple of half chances. Kenny McLean had a shot, which was, uh, took a nick and went past the post. Carrie Arneson headed over the bar. Whilst it was still 1-0, and then immediately they got their second, which, again, you could attribute to bad luck. But I, I do think Mark Reynolds has maybe got to be a bit more aware of where his defensive colleague is before trying to head it out of play. And it falls with Johnny Hayes, who, who obviously puts it away. So I'm prepared to cut them a little slack. But once again, the response really, it wasn't up to scratch. Grant, Richard mentioned it there. Um, four pretty big changes in the side. Logan McKenna, May, and of course, Ryan Christie, we all knew was going to be missing anyway. Um, Aberdeen have got a pretty strong squad, I think. But we're not that strong that four changes won't throw a spanner in the work. I'm not saying that we were at a major disadvantage before the game started, but that's the sort of thing where it just things aren't starting going your way, are they? Well, I think as well this season, which has been particularly noticeable, is in maybe the past couple of seasons, if we we lost a couple of players to injury or suspension or whatever, then you'd always rely on the same players who were playing to be on form and you could always rely on them to be consistent. And I don't think we've had the same amount of players being as consistent as they usually have this season. And guys like Logan, Shinny at times, even down to Lewis in goals. And I think that's maybe puts more pressure on the rest of the squad when they do have to come in. And plus that with the younger guys like Scott Wright, you'd expect to be pushing a little bit more. And Stuart and Mackay Stephen, they've both been playing better recently, but you can't really rely on them to be performing every week, which is disappointing. And uh, I think that's possibly a, a hindrance as well. You look at the squad as well, and you just think Graham Shinney, one thing that's been particularly frustrating this season is 
he's always going to pick up bookings with the kind of player he is, the position he plays. That's fine. You wouldn't want to completely take that away from him, but I think I'm right in saying he's one more booking away from a two-game ban, and I think some of them are just becoming unnecessary, and it's going to, going to be costly. It's going to be more squad changes, but in, in terms of the Celtic game itself, yeah, I agree with Richard in the point that I don't like to call it a hard luck story. Yes, the first goal is unbelievably unfortunate, but if you think we're taking the positives from competing in that first half is kind of sums up the season so far, really, that one marginally competing performance is seen as a good thing after appalling away, after Motherwell in the Cup, after two Rangers games, two Celtic games, we've scored one goal, which was a free kick and competed for one half. And it did feel when that first goal went in, it was like, well, that's it done, kind of. You could see the belief just kind of seep out of quite a number of the players on the team. And yeah, we did have a couple of half chances in the second half, but when it ends up 3-0, it's just, we're quite lucky that Celtic get their foot off the gas a little bit at the end. And it's in these big games yet again. And you you say, yes, we've got a good squad, but I don't think they're showing it on a consistent enough basis this season especially in the big games, I think there's a few that need to really step up in the second half of the season. But there also has to be an acceptance, and it's impossible to get away from the fact that Celtic have a much, much bigger budget, a much better quality of player on display. Our budget equivalent to Celtic's wage budget is like if you plunked Bayern Munich down in the same league as Celtic. Now, if Celtic were to play Bayern Munich 10 times, they might compete quite closely one or two times out of those 10, and they'd probably get credit for doing that. And that's kind of where we're at, I, I kind of feel. I mean, of course we all want us to to be closer and to, to challenge them on individual matches, and I do believe that we can do that. But ultimately, I think if you took, yeah, if you took 10 games, there are going to be quite a few of those 10 games where just the, the finances dictate that we're going to be blown off the park. I think there have been very disappointing performances, well, not performances per se, but almost more disappointing setups and disappointing strategies employed recently. What we want as fans, at the very least, is for us to be seen as having a go, trying to get on the front foot, rather than just going out there to contain. And obviously it's exacerbated this season the fact that Celtic have dropped a lot more careless points than they have done uh, last season in particular. So so that adds to the frustration, I think, amongst the Don support as well. Uh, it's not just the Celtic games, though. It's particularly Rangers, Hearts as well, have not even scored against Hearts this season. And you look at... The, the thing with Celtic, you talk about the budgets, of course, but I, I don't reckon there's probably a team that's laid less of a glove on Celtic this season at any point than us, probably closely, most other teams have given them a, a harder game than we have, and it's it's, it's strange that it's like that. Um, okay, we were missing a few guys at Parkhead, but it has it, become a bit of a recurring theme this season in the bigger games that we're just not stamping or marking the games at all, not even barely even competing. Well, the Rangers games we we covered at length previously, obviously, and they were they were terrible performances, and I'm certainly not giving them the out of the speculation over the manager. But again, as we've said on in the past on Celtic games, is we're not going to have Celtic face us and just sleepwalk their way to a 1-1 draw. Because we have been the main challenge over the past few years, they're going to be switched on. They're going to be alert for the 90 minutes. And it's seen as a big game to them, which doesn't work in our favour. Yeah, I think that's I think that's fair to say. I mean, even, even though they made some changes um, in their in their starting eleven, Celtic were are always going to be up for a game against us. Um, you know, we spoke about the first two goals there. Um, the third one, the heads had gone down. Um, you saw, you know, what was probably a once in a lifetime brain failure moment from um, McLean, just a pass back that was just really unbelievable towards the end of the game. I think what comes as most frustrating for me is our nearest rivals have managed to take a point off of them yet again. It's really, it's a, it's a hard one to take when, you know, this was. I think we kind of looked at the. The Christmas Christmas break, if you want to call it that, um, some tough and there's those tough games there. But to then see you no know, Rangers getting a draw for them was really annoying, wasn't it, Grant? It's it's just a typical phenomenon. It's the kind of thing that's happened the past few seasons. That I don't know. Does it is it in the players' minds when these kinds of things happen? Same with the Hearts game, which I'm sure you'll mention. But 
Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's not surprising these days. It just rubs it in even more, yeah. But on the other hand, you look at the run of the fixtures before, uh, before the split. Just immediately before we went to Parkhead, uh, the Rangers lost at Kilmarnock. Now, if you were looking at their fixtures, you would have thought, okay, they'll lose at Parkhead, but they'll they'll take three points at Rugby Park. So, you know, you can't say, oh, well, it's unfortunate they took a point there. They they went with a game plan. They they got the the point they were after, and you know, fair play to them. But we're still three points ahead at this stage. We we have it in our own hands as far as the second half of the season goes. Did any one of us enter the season thinking we were going to seriously challenge for the title? I hate to be so defeatist, but realistically? No. Of course not, but we expected to at least put in a kind of a performance in a, de- a big game this season, which we haven't done. So that, that's, the, that's the thing that's... A bit of selection bias going on there, Grant. You consider maybe the Hibs games to be big games as well, no? If you're counting the Hearts games. Oh, well, I wasn't counting the Hearts game particularly now. I was more counting the Motherwell League Cup game, the two Rangers games, the Apollon away European game and the two Celtic games. Yeah, we did it against... Hibs, fair enough, that's a couple of decent points, but they're not really games you're thinking of as... They're games you should be winning if you're wanting to finish in the top three, top two, so it's more the other games. And the fact that we've not even scored, well, a Frank Ross free kick's the only thing we have to show for those games is pretty meagre. It's a poor return from those two uh, games against the Rangers, but I mean, once again, there's a team spending twice our budget. We have done very well beating the teams below us who spend less than us. Hearts are this season, perhaps the exception to the rule, but you know, last season we beat them three, t- three times out of four. Yeah, but being a very selective about the budget thing, because then you could just easily say, well, we should be beating the teams below, then that's not really an achievement because we've got a bigger budget than them. So, but that's kind of what I'm saying. We've been very, very consistent at doing that. Yes, yeah, so I agree. But then the Motherwell League Cup game—that's that was a horrific performance as well, and that was a, a really surprising uh, how poor that performance was. Like, I think that kind of just shows as well, just the kind of the state of the game and the appalling away game as well. And it's just, it'll be interesting to see with the two games coming up straight after the winter break is going to be a, a proper test about kind of what progress we've, we've made or how the second half of the season is possibly going to go. Well, I think the pattern has been bad responses to losing first goals in these games. And uh, that's certainly been a factor over not just this season, but last season as well. You do wonder if the mentality is really there to, to react to a setback in games of this magnitude. We had a very good record at coming back from behind, uh, retrieving points from losing situations last season, but that was in more of your run-of-the-mill league games as opposed to... I mean, you could look back at the first meeting we had against the Rangers at Ibrox last year. We really lost that game again because of our response to going 1-0 down. We were well in that game, probably marginally on top. We lose a fairly... Fortunate goal, it takes the deflection on its way through to Kenny Miller. And again, the response to that, we are we fall out of the game completely for 20 minutes and that's what cost us any chance of getting the result that day. And yeah, it was pretty much the same at Motherwell, just a failure to really to respond to that setback initially. Yeah, I think that's a really good point actually because I think it comes back to what I said earlier about not maybe having as consistent a performer. Last season you could always look to a Johnny Hayes or... Or McGinn or something like that to know that you can turn a game round. Whereas this season, it's you're not entirely sure about who's going to be on form and who's not. And if you do go a goal down, I think that makes it more difficult as well. Yeah, I think the form has definitely been very stop start this season, um, which is obviously something that is a, is a bit of a concern. Despite the fact that, as Richard quite rightly says, no, we find ourselves still three points ahead of. Head of our nearest rivals. And on exactly um, the same points as we took at this point last season, if you take the first two games against each other team in the league. Yeah. We'll move on to the, the next game now. Um, I don't know if there's many positives or much talking points to be drawn from this one. Um, Park Thistle at home, it was a 1 0 win. Um, it was the coldest night in the history of Pataudry, Richard. Um, it wasn't one for the highlight reels, was it? Yeah, we won. Let's move on. <laughs> no, what do you want me to Grant, say? I mean, you know, no, Ryan, no, yeah, gets, you're, you're, Ryan totally, gets to totally right, yeah. gets to the byline. Adam Rooney is in the six-yard box. Exactly, exactly where you want Adam Rooney to be. We get the goal. We get the win. That was it. I mean, I'd pretty yeah. much forgotten anything that had happened from that match by about yeah. half past ten, and that had nothing to do with a couple of hours in Brewdog beforehand. 
Of course, no, I mean, I was pretty much the same as well. I was, I mean, my, my judgment might be fairly clouded by the fact I was pretty boozy, but I was also absolutely freezing. But yeah, Grant, um, the only bit of magic in the game came from the goal. Um, it is just one of those kind of games, I think, where despite the fact it was a kind of Christmas game and you've got a big crowd and all that, you just kind of need to get over the line, don't you? Yeah, I was just thinking about this. All these games between Christmas and the past few years have seemed to have been the same, by there being kind of nil-nils, horrible one-nil wins or horrible one-nil defeats. I don't know what it is, it's just you always get like a kind of good Christmas crowd and the game just tends to be crap. And at least we got the goal in that game, that's the main thing. But yeah, it's I don't know why these, these games just always seem to be like that during in between Christmas and New Year, but not one that's gonna live long in the memory. And so that was one nil against Park Thistle at home, and we'll move on to the next game. We played we played Hearts at home, the visit of them, Craig Levine back at Pitaudry for another visit with his um, his rugby club. I've heard it described around about this in the media and things like that, Grant, as a disciplined display or disciplined performance uh, by Hearts. Um, now, they did have, now, to be fair to them, they did have you know, some opportunities in the game. It wasn't like Joe Lewis didn't have a save to make. But you know, the game kind of, it was sort of same old, same old from them again. Very physical, very robust. You know exactly what you're going to get from a Craig Levine side, don't you? Oh, of course. And uh, was Kyle Lafferty a part of this disciplined performance, or is, is that an exception? Well... The thing that does annoy me a little bit is, yeah, okay, they're horrible to watch in that, but, you know, I mean, you can't really blame them coming up and playing for a nil-nil. I mean, it's up to us to to kind of do something about that, and invariably we've struggled this season to do that. They look for their couple of chances on the break, which they didn't take. They sat in and settled for the point, and, ah, fair play. They're on, a, they're on an unbeaten run. They don't want to risk losing that. You can see that, and pretty horrible, but... I mean, we didn't deserve to win, so it's not that you can't really complain about it. No, I mean, I, I think, you know, and I count myself in this, that I think some of us are can be a bit snooty about teams, and, and I and I class, last, class Hearts as a lesser team than us, because they finished below us in the league last season, so that's fair enough to say. Um, I do, so some of us, and like I say, I include me in that, we do get a bit snooty about teams that come to Pataudry and try and close up and maybe only play one up front and play, you know, a very a very wide you know, midfield and one forward. The game was kind of pretty much ruined in terms of a contest. Anyway, Hearts had to make two subs in the first half hour. Um, after that, Richard, I felt that really all they really they were they were happy with the point from then on. Oh, I mean, Hearts would uh, had quite a few regulars missing beforehand as well. So, I, I think even if they had a full strength team, you could have predicted exactly what a Craig Levine side were, were going to pitch up and play at Pataudry. It wasn't going to be pretty, and it was up to us to have uh, the poise in the final third, the creativity before that, to try and break them down. And we failed. To me, this performance was much, much more disappointing than, than the game at Parkhead, because this is a game that we, we should be winning, and we should be taking the three points in. The fact that the Hearts team was littered with kids as well, under 19-year-olds, apparently that means that they can't, they can't be physical, because there were, some Hearts fans were trying to tell us on social media that night, which was <laughs> which is an absolute nonsense. They were all that and more, but of course they were. But... It was up to us to break them down, and, and we weren't good enough. And as the manager pointed out after the game, that it's a sort of game Ryan McGinn would have been great at to, to exploiting and twisting around and creating some opportunities. But the guys on the pitch for us that day just went up to it, really just went up to it. They had by far the best chances of the 90 minutes, uh, three of the best chances in fact, and we were very lucky they didn't take any of them. We can howl at the moon about about them being physical, and uh, you know I'm as guilty as, as the next man because they were just as every Craig Levine team has ever been at Pataudry. Carl Lafferty, <laughs> he reckons that's not a red card, by the way. Uh, Jesus Christ, that man was Scotland manager. <laughs> so you know we can get our heckles up about about the way Hearts approached it, but yeah, I don't I don't particularly blame them, but I do I am. You're really frustrated at the, the low level of quality in that play and it was very similar in fact to the Park Thistle game in a lot of regards. We just weren't creating enough. Um, yeah, I think it was it's very telling that a lot of the post match talk was more about more about hearts rather than us. It was about talking them extending their clean sheet run to six games. Um a stat I didn't actually realise is that they lo- they've not lost a game in nine. So I mean so Grant, are we being harsh on hearts? In the position they were in earlier in the season, I mean Club club record of clean sheets, you can't really argue with that. The unbeaten run. I mean they've thumped Celtic four 0 and blooding some very, very young players. 
I mean, I don't see what more he can do at the moment. I mean, I think it's, I think as you said, it's kind of the little arrogance that we're showing that because we haven't beaten them, that's just frustrates us more than anything. And I think it's kind of us deflecting the fact of how poor we were ourselves. Is it's an easy way to do that? It's just it's just by slag off Hearts and slag off Levine. But yeah, <laughs> these are definitely the, it's it's more difficult for him because it's their derby, the kind of thing. If they drop points to Hearts, but as Richard said, we we should be beating them home and away, and to not even have scored against them so far this season is this just makes it all more frustrating. And because it's Levine, of course, that just adds to it. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, just to kind of go back to what you said there. I mean, I wouldn't be. I'm not ashamed to admit that after the game, after that performance, and only drawing nil nil with them, my toys were fully out of the pram. <laughs> I was not happy at all. <laughs> so that was those three games. That was the Christmas the Christmas uh, run we had. In between that, we did have some transfer news as well, and we've done some transfer business already. Uh, so, Niall McGinn is re-signed for Aberdeen on a three-and-a-half-year deal after his, his brief six-month holiday in Korea, in which he suffered a, a relegation, no less. So, Richard, does he come back a better or worse player? Obviously, I'm joking there. Um, <laughs> but are you, are you happy to have McGinn back? Well, he comes back a slightly older player, and the fact <laughs> that we're handing out a three-and-a-half-year deal to to a guy who's uh, 30 is uh, to a winger who's 30 is probably a bit surprising uh, but plainly it sounds like that was what was needed to swing it in our favour and um, I'm a little you know I actually said in the last podcast that I didn't actually expect him to pitch up back here because I thought that would be seen almost in his part as an admission of failure to to have landed back here but equally I, I, I do kind of get where he's coming from that if he's going to come back to the SPL and most of his options seem to be SPS, SPFL based that he'd find it hard to maybe go to Hearts and go to Hibs and be in direct competition with Aberdeen. I'm very happy to have him back. I was very sad to lose him uh, back in the summer. I think um, after six months without him and six months with the likes of Gary Mackay Stephen, I think people who criticised him for his inconsistency might be uh, having, <laughs> uh, might be rethinking that criticism <laughs> now because uh, I think we've seen what uh, a typical SPFL standard winger will be like. Um, of course the guy's going to be go missing from time to time because if he was consistent, he would be nowhere near Aberdeen and that's the point we've made before, I think. And nowhere near the SBFL, in fact. Uh, for our budget, for the level we're at, he's a, he's a good signing. He knows the league. He still knows this team, which I think is also important because we've had six months trying to bleed in some key players to the way we try and play football and in fact try and change the way we have tried to play football over the past couple of seasons. And maybe in fact that's been part of the problem in the first six months that we've just tried to play the same way that we've done over the past few years but with a different set of attacking options. Uh, so so I'm very happy to have him back. Um, you know, I'd, a lot of people have pointed out that oh, they'd rather see Scott Wright get some game time. Well, Scott Wright's had opportunities this, uh, this season. And Scott Wright really hasn't grasped them. And it's, it's been there for him. He had every opportunity at the start of the season to really make a run for it, stake a claim, and he's, he's just not done it. And he's, he's, you know, Derek McInnes is a, a strong believer in uh, rewarding displays on the training field as well. And uh, I think it's clear from the fact that he's, he's drifted further and further from getting a first-team berth uh, to mainly sitting on the bench each week that he, he's not really shining um, in training either. So I, I do wonder what the next uh, six months holds for Scott Wright. I do wonder if maybe there's a thought to, to sending him out to, to get some game time elsewhere at a decent level. Uh, because, yeah, we make allowances for his youth, absolutely. And there's an exciting young player there, of course there is. But um, he, he has to be doing it to... to Get himself a get himself a place in the team, and I think right now now again is more likely to be contributing where we need him to contribute. I think that's a very fair point. Uh, we've been we've we've been trying to be as complimentary as we can um, about the guys that have came in, and I inclu- include Scott Wright in that grant. But um, none of like Richard says, none of them have really grasped the opportunity with both hands. We've seen flashes from Mackay Stephen, we've seen flashes from Stewart. Whereas with McGinn, you you kind of know what you're going to get from him, don't you? Yeah, this is the thing, is that I, I kind of actually feel a little too delighted that McGinn's back just because of that point. It's you, you would have thought with the guys we brought in, it, 
he wouldn't have been that much needed, but to be honest, when he's fit, I can see him going straight back in the starting lineup because, as you said, yeah, Scott Wright certainly hasn't shown anywhere near enough. Stuart and Mackay Stephen have been hit and miss. Stuart has been playing a bit more better of late, but his goal return is pretty paltry. And the amount of goals you know that McGinn will get, you have to put him back in the team straight away. And I think another person that could hugely help is Shea Logan because I just think he hasn't really been seen as much as an attacking force in recent weeks as we know he can be. Him and McGinn linking up back on the right, that could that partnership if that comes uh, straight back up again, that could be a very positive factor. But <laughs> interesting, you mentioned McGinn's relegation and we signed Tanzi after a relegation and this Nigerian lad, Nakwali, he's just been relegated to Norway. So uh, that's quite an interesting pattern McInnes is following here, plundering these relegated players. But uh, um, no, I'm, I'm pretty delighted that McGinn's back. And the three and a half year deal, I was really surprised at that. But yeah, they always say this never go back, but it's only been six months. So surely it shouldn't take much. Just when he gets his fitness up, then and fingers crossed he slots, slots straight back in the team. And you never know, it might have a positive effect on Stuart Mackay Stevens, right? It might force them a bit more competition to to get their fingers out about consistency more, but again we'll just have to wait and see. I mean six months away from again, it's just basically him clawing back all his summer holidays that he's missed because of uh, internationals <laughs> and early start for Europe Cup ties. That, that's all it was. Very true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm glad you had a gamble there. The the Manchester City loan player surname Grant. So um, so we'll go with Macaulay then. Um, because I'm, I'm leaving I'm, the first name for you, Martin. Yeah, um, well, we'll just go. We'll just call him Chidi. I think it's Chidi Nwakale we'll go with. Um, I'm not going for the full name. Um, so yeah, we signed him on loan from Man City until in the season. A guy who, you know, you look at looking at his history, he's obviously a very young player, Richard. Um, not not obviously made any kind of impact at Man City because he's not going to because he's he's a young young player. Is he? He's, he's obviously coming here. He's making all the right noises, which is is nice to hear about. You know, he's trying to kind of stake his claim for a Nigerian World Cup slot as well. But um, we've we've maybe heard that kind of talk before. Um, what do you think about this one? Is he is he coming here to be be another kind of Josh Parker peripheral player or? Uh, yeah, uh, in terms of um, guys that can play right back with Man City um, on their CV, let's hope he's more uh, Shea Logan than, oh God, what was the name, that uh, the guy that Jimmy Calderwood signed, the right back? Vidal, was it? Javin Vidal, that's the guy, that's the guy. So let's hope he's more Shea Logan than Javin Vidal. Um, realistically, uh, no one's been keeping a close eye on the Norwegian Tipoligan. So I don't think anyone's really that informed as to as to how he's going to fit into this side. I think he can he can cover right back and he he can play in midfield. In terms of the squad balance, that's probably quite helpful. So obviously Anthony O'Connor and Dominic Ball can also apparently cover right back as well. So they very much look like centre halves who are covering right back when they play outside there. And I think the criticism that you can level. Definitely about McInnes uh, for that lineup for the Celtic uh, game was it really showed how imbalanced his squad had got. He's got so many you know good options in attacking areas. He's got quite a lot of centre halves uh, by trade, but there were certain parts of the pitch, centre midfield being one, right back being another, where we don't really have that uh, um, depth available to us, uh, and not even. That much in the youth, the ones knocking on the door most are Frank Ross, who's an attacking midfielder. Scott Wright, obviously, did our usual sort of have a go at Levine earlier, but there's something about the way that he just has let the kids at heart off the leash there, which um, I really kind of wish that Dean Campbell, he's 17, only 17, I know, but he's captaining, been captaining the under 21 side all this year, so they've obviously placed a lot of faith and trust in him. Why not just give him a go? In midfield, let him t- try and make that defensive midfield, uh, the sort of holding midfield base his own because, well, I, I mean, I know McInnes has got a bit of a, a blind spot to bait, uh, Anthony O'Connor, but I, I really think that if you've got a, a guy who's, who's well, highly thought of as Dean Campbell, then yeah, just, just let him at it. Give him a run, um, because we're obviously going to have to find another midfielder as well for next season. Kenny McLean being away, so it'd be great to know that um, you know we've got we've got a young talent in there getting game time already. Do you like how I answered the question about our new signing by barely referencing him? Yeah, I mean, I th- like 
like I say, it's fair to say, none of us really know anything about him. I've seen some very short YouTube clips. Um, I've seen a clip where he, like, he halves someone and then elbows another player in the face. Um, so that's, no, that looks good. You know, he'll fit in well. At least, the, the one good thing about that, the fact is he's coming from a club like Man City, then sometimes if you get a player from like a team like that, you think, well, they're probably not much competitive football playing in like an under-23 academy league, whatever it is they play down there. It's not proper football. He's been in Norwegian league. He's been involved in proper pressure games. As I said, they got relegated. They're in relegation playoffs. His last game was in. And at least he's had that exposure to proper pressure situations. He got called up to the Nigeria squad for the November friendlies. So he does have a outside chance of making the World Cup. And the fact that they're playing Iceland... Yeah, a little bit of influence from Carrie Arneson could uh, never go amiss then. Fingers crossed. But yeah, as Richard mentioned, there's this heavily reliance on loan players with that's coming in ahead of the young players. If he's willing enough to ship out Tanzi, bring in Nakali and have somebody like Dominic Ball around, it does make you wonder about the youth players coming through. Is Levine giving these guys a chance because they are good and we're not because maybe they're not as good, or does McInnes not willing to do it? It's, it's That's open to debate. But at, at least if this sounds like he's trying to balance up the score a bit more, and it did sound like he wasn't finished with his transfer business. He did make a kind of hint that uh, he might have something else in the pipeline. And, of course, we should mention the Nigerian guy that they keep saying uh, work permit permitting. So you would assume you would, uh, there would be they would have a good idea they'll get that sorted out but uh, you can never be too sure about that kind of thing well yeah that's that's an interesting point because he wouldn't actually be able to play for Man City right now because he wouldn't get a work permit down in England uh, because they apply the rules relatively rigidly there in terms of if the if you're coming from a country that isn't in the top 30 I think in the FIFA rankings you have to have played 75% of the internationals over the last two years so this guy would be nowhere near getting a getting a work permit to Denham Man City. So that partly explains why he's been playing abroad as opposed to under-23 football, because he wouldn't be allowed to play under-23 football in this country. Um, whereas you come up to Scotland, and we're by no means the first team to try and exploit this. I mean, Hamilton have had guys from Argentina. Uh, some of the signings that Celtic and the Rangers have made have also would have had no chance of getting a work permit uh, down south. But it doesn't just stop there in the, in the top flight. Like Peter Head, for example, had a guy who had to get a work permit. I forget exactly where he was from, but <laughs> Peter Head are not going to be getting in somebody who's going to greatly increase the you know the quality of the football in this country. And it does seem that there is a, a massive, massive loophole there that meant to be part of the same country, and yet we've got wildly differing standards in terms of the footballers that will get um, get work permits. And again, this isn't a guy who's going to come in and uh, sort of be a huge attraction. It sounds like he's going to be a bit of a bit of a squad for them. You know, maybe I might be proved wrong. Maybe he might play every game between now and the end of the season. But yeah, it, it, it's, it is a weird one that he's he's likely to get, presumably the club believe, a work permit. Because, yeah, the rules are in place to stop things like this happening, to be perfectly honest. Well, okay. Well, that's obviously pending. We will wait and see. And as we just mentioned briefly, there one one player has gone out the other way. Um, Greg Tanzi has been loaned out to Ross County. Um, Richard and I have had our our say on Tanzi so far this season. Um, Grant, I'll um, I'll open the floor to you. Um, Grant, Greg Tanzi just hasn't hasn't really fitted in this season. A guy who. McInnes has wanted for some time, was was willing to spend some money on maybe eighteen months ago, um, and it just it just hasn't happened for him. There's obviously been talk of him being unfit and he needed an operation, but um, he just hasn't um, made any sort of impression, has he? No, when I seen the news, he was away on loan. I think my reaction was just a kind of shrug of the shoulders. I wasn't just all right, fair enough, fine. <laughs> I mean, that's the strange thing is how much McInnes pursued him. And there's this thing that the the knee injury or whatever the injury was is affecting him, and he played through the bar. But from what I've seen of him, I haven't seen anything whatsoever to suggest that he's good enough to be in that midfield or on a par with Jack was or McLean. Even his set pieces, which were supposed to be one of his main things, it's hit and miss. Whether he's providing, he got relegated to Kelly's, gone to Ross County team bottom of the league. Maybe that's just his level and. 
I, if he's got a future, I'd be amazed at why they would loan him out to a club like Ross County on that level if he had any sort of future and bringing in loan players. I think that'll be the end of him. Aberdeen would be shipped off in the summer, I would have thought, and I'd, no great loss, I would have said. Yeah, we we picked this up a couple of weeks ago as well. I mean, for all that we, I got an arm again one wrong, I, I did kind of say that I didn't really expect to see Drake Tansy feature too much more under a Derek McInnes Aberdeen team. I think reading between the lines, if Ross County stay up, he, he moves there permanently in the summer. Um, so, yeah, it's been an inglorious few months anyway. He might, who knows, football's a weird thing. He might come back and all guns blazing in the, uh, in the new season next year and and um, make that position his own. He certainly wouldn't be the first Aberdeen player to take a while to settle in. Far better players than him have uh, have struggled when they when they move here, but um, yeah, I've seen I've seen nothing from him, and more importantly, from how we were likely to deploy him as well, because I think he was playing just a little bit too deep to really get the best out of what we'd seen from him at Cali, where he really liked to sort of almost play as a slightly withdrawn number ten, so. Yeah, it's certainly no tears from him from him departing, but um, but again, another McInnes signing, which um, he's moved on very, very quickly. We should probably put a few quid on him first goal for his Ross County debut after that, I think. I think, I think I might. Can't do any harm. And we'll move on now to, we'll look forward to our next match. We have the Scottish Cup, um, the the trophy that I think every every single Aberdeen fan desires and desperately once at the end of every season. Uh, we're at home to St Mirren. Uh, not the easiest of draws. They certainly could have could have had a, had a kinder draw. Uh, St Mirren, as we record this, St Mirren still have one more game to play uh, before they will play us. Um, they're at home to, I think they're at home, or they've got a game against Dumbarton. But they're on a good run of form at the moment, Grant. They have won, I think, out their last five games. They've won four, drawn one, um, Far far outstripping their nearest challengers, which obviously Dundee United in the lower division. Um, this isn't going to be um, as straightforward as we hoped, but um, Aberdeen, it's probably it could play in Aberdeen's hands, don't you think? Um, they're a team that are doing well. Aberdeen won't be taking their eye off the ball on this one at all, will they? Uh, I hope not. But <laughs> I have to say, I'm pretty nervous about this game, to be perfectly honest. Uh, yeah, you had to Dumbarton away this weekend, they're flying out at the top of the championship. I'm pretty uncomfortable about this game coming right off the back of a three-week break. Uh, you really don't know. I mean, last season, it was perfect. A nice little run out against Renoir to get the legs back going again. This is really not a game you want to be get caught cold in. How much is the three weeks going to make a difference? They've been playing every week. I'd much rather be playing every week coming into this game like St Mirren have than we have. When you're winning every week like they are, the confidence is going to be high. They're going to really fancy coming for it. Uh, nice mixture of SPL experience in their team. Young players, obviously, the boy Lewis Morgan, Cammy Smith coming back. I mean, the one good thing with Derek McInnes is we have a very good record against lower division teams with him in charge. Um, as you say, this is not an ideal draw. It's not the worst draw, but it's. Uh, yeah, it's just that at home and Rangers away afterwards. That is a. You just have to hit the ground running straight away with these two games. And I think it could be a nervy afternoon. I really hope not, but um will be definitely coming up there fancying a result. Uh, he hasn't just got a good record against lower division teams. He's got an excellent record against bottom six teams in the SPF and the Premiership. So I think, you know, as much as they're going well, St Mirren, the level is not going to be higher than, you know, ninth, eighth place in the Premiership uh, at the moment. So... Yeah, they'll be they'll have confidence absolutely, and they've got obviously players that can damage us. But I, I, I expect us to win. I expect us to to win relatively comfortably as well. Also, because I I do wonder whether their focus is obviously going to be on the league, and um, you might actually see them rotate. Oh, I'd, I'd highly doubt they'll be rotating for that. I mean, in the championship, you don't really need to take that much of a focus. I'd be highly surprised if they made any changes to their team. I've, I'm impressed by your confidence, Richard. That, that, uh, fingers crossed it goes that way, but um, I think 
we really need to one goal in the last three games, is it? The thick question is, do you, if um, McGinn and May are fit, do they go straight back in, or do you keep keep faith with the guys who played in the last couple of games? See, Grant, this is what happens when you take some time away. You come back and Richard's all positive. <laughs> I know what's happened. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, like like has been like we've mentioned there, um, the manager has spoken and saying that he, McGinn and May should be fit and available. Um, so there is a selection selection issue there. Uh, we will we will have a by the minute. Um, feed running for that game We'll put that up on the Twitter feed Nearer the time uh, We'll be covering that game obviously on the website uh, We're going to wrap the show up now With your Scottish Cup or your Cup memories uh, We put it out to the Twitter Feed earlier on Asking for the memories I'm going to start you off with uh, with you Grant What's your what's your kind of favourite memories Or earliest memories of the Cup? Uh, well My first football memories of the Cup final against Celtic, the penalty shootout. That's the first thing I can actually remember watching of any football. Um, but I was just looking through some of the past past ones earlier today, and then I was thinking about a St Johnston game. Um, they got postponed when I was on the queue for the, at McDermott Park, <laughs> and I couldn't couldn't believe it was two thousand and two. Six sixteen years, just couldn't believe it. And we ended up playing them a few days later and won two nil. Uh, Thornley and Darren Young, I believe, scored. I couldn't even remember. I had to look that up as well. Um, I was just, just more in uh, some kind of tragic shock that it was 16 years ago. But um, yeah, and that one as well. And there was one just a couple of years after down at Dens Park. Uh, I don't know if you remember. It was a replay. We won 3 2. I think Marcus Heikinen scored a particularly good goal in that game. Um, I just was looking through all the third round games we needed replays for there was quite a number of them and uh, that's what was got me thinking about St Mirren so uh, you don't really want too many memories to be made at this stage of the cup to be honest unless it's like an obscure away trip to the likes of Alwa or whatnot or uh, or Broth or Forfer but uh, yeah I think it's just more still um, traumatised by the length of time that I've been watching football I think <laughs> Yeah, it certainly does come flooding back. Um, we obviously reading through some of the the tweets that we got back from you guys as well. It's like struggling to believe that some of these some of these games are so long ago. We had uh, Craig Coyle. I think it was the four three win at Clyde Bank in ninety three at Kilbowie, soaking wet, and we're segregated for the home fans about a bit of skipping rope. Um, which just classes it as a minor classic. Um, if any of these facts are slightly out, Richard, um, I'll I will bow to you and allow you to jump in and correct me on any of these ones here. Um, we have Stephen Sinclair first first game ever was a third round of the Scottish Cup in the 89-90 season Thistle versus Aberdeen and he simply adds at the end I thought all cup runs would be the same um, yeah didn't we all didn't we all um, we also had Gary Stitchell Clyde Bank at Pitodry in 1993 Ian Jess broke his leg a 1-1 draw um, and he just has hashtag Jonah which I think is is a fair one there as well Um I have to be careful when I say this next username. I am a cant. Um, told tweeted in um, his old man took him to the cup replay against Hibs in the midweek back in the nineteen sixties. Well, once three 0 and Pitodri was packed packed like sardines. Um, yeah, there was um, there's some there's some great pictures of that going round. What was it, Richard? You said it was at forty seven thousand people were at Pitodri for that match. Forty four thousand. Forty four thousand. So sorry, this the Seville calculator took over there. I apologise. Yeah, we've got a picture up tonight. Uh, I don't know whether the guys on the roof of the beach end would uh, be counted in amongst that 44,000, but uh, they were present and correct anyway. So, uh, yeah, every vantage point taken that day. 3-0 win. We made the final that year, but lost 2-0 to, to the Celtic side that had won on Lisbon. Uh, we had uh, Al Watt tweets in, former podcast guest, uh, Dundee United semi at Hamden in 94, and he used to uh, f- finishes that off with fucking Brian Welsh. Yeah. Um, try try to keep these ones positive, but there are some some like nasty and negative memories. Um, we have obviously Matthew Inst- Matthew Inkster, St Mirren away. Zero Ali's free kick was a dance seven hundredth goal in the cup. Uh, we've spoken about that goal many many times on that in this podcast. One of the one of the probably the greatest ever Aberdeen goals in in living memory. Anyway, uh, Mark Massey, first one I definitely remember was the eighty two semi replay at Dens. Beat St Mirren 3-2 in a cracking game. Uh, 15,500 crowd with goals from McGee, Simpson and Weir. 
Yeah, it was pour, See, pouring so rain that night, and every single Aberdeen goal is a massive Langfield-esque howler from Billy Thompson. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> goal. Um, the footage is on. I think if, if you find the Willie Miller of 20 Golden Greats, whatever it's called, on YouTube, the goals are on there, and literally every single one of them is the sort of thing that a six-year-old would save. <laughs> Uh, we have uh, Ian Wood uh, comes up with 4 1 versus Hearts at home in the 1990 quarter final. Was lifted onto his shoulders by the man behind me when Champagne Charlie Colt scored. What a great memory. Uh, we also have um, Gary the Dandy. That's my mate Dobbin. Thanks for tweeting in, Gary. Uh, probably not the first, but one of the one of the first he remembers is us getting beat by pens by Hibbs in midweek at Pataudry when Jim Layton was in goals for Hibbs. I certainly remember that was a televised game as well, wasn't it, Richard? Um, I'm pretty sure that was. I'm I not think sure that was. I think it probably pretty was. Sure that was. Pretty sure that was a televised game as well. Back when, back when we were one of the first picks for being TV games. Um, I'm gonna. I'll pop in with my one here as well. My one of my. Not not necessarily my earliest memories, but one of my favourite memories. Um, mainly because my first first memory of any kind of cup game is the '87 Skull Cup final, and I do not like to talk about it. Um, it just came up in the anniversary the other day. Um, ten years, well, over ten years, sorry, twelve years um, since Dundee United two Aberdeen three at Tannadice. Um an absolute shambles of a first half performance by Aberdeen. Um, though it was, we were two 0 down, and it could have been, geez, it could have been. Seven or eight, um, we were truly, truly awful, and then come back in the second half, an absolute storming performance. And it seems to be we we put on these performances at Tannadice. Some of my some of my favourite football and memories uh, happen have happened at Tannadice, which is and I took a bit of stick from this for some of my mates a few weeks ago. I said I wouldn't mind it if Dundee United came back. Um, I think they've done their time in the lower leagues because you no, know, an away day in the shed really is something to behold. Um, yes, yeah, so won that game three two, moved on into the uh, next round next round. Um, and it was an absolutely, absolutely great day out. Okay, a little few drinks were taken as well, so um, that might be clouding my memory. But yeah, um, and there was obviously a little bit of scrapping at the end with Billy Dodds and Jimmy Calderwood, which was, which is always good to see. Please note that Martin's opinions on Dundee United did not constitute the <laughs> podcast. I'll, I'll heartily agree with that. Have you really, Martin, had enough of Dundee United losing six one against Falkirk? Oh, no, 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 I'm not saying I've had enough of it. I mean, like I mean, I said the other day, you know, um, it is a shame, though, though that you know, what's happening to Rangers right now has really distracted that Dundee United are really are going through their own version of the banter years, and it is very enjoyable seeing them fall fall to pieces. Um, I'm not. I don't think they'll be coming up anytime soon. But if they did, you know, I wouldn't. I wouldn't burst into tears about it. I'd rather, I'd rather see them come up than, for example, maybe Hamilton stay in the league. But yeah, um, Dun- it's mainly because D- Den- um, Dundee United. It's a good day. It's a good away day. Ta- the sh- Tannadice is a good laugh. The shed's a good fun. Um, I'd rather that than one of these kind of Col- having to go to Kilmarnock or Hamilton anyway. We'll await your written apology. Everybody's entitled to their opinion, and as as it seems, mine is obviously wrong. Um, <laughs> we have next one. Um, Scoot a doodle do says Clyde at Shawfield in 1981 or 82. He thinks uh, a 2-0 win for Aberdeen. Um, Duncan Rothney 2-1 win versus Morton 89-90. Classic, classically says barely mind anything about it except I thought we were going to destroy them after the 6-2 Thistle game in the previous round. That's a fair point. Uh, we're good. We'll wrap up with a final one as well, Richard. If you want to give us your one. Uh, well, I'm my. Early, I'm from that um, very fortunate generation where my early Scottish Cup memories are basically, oh, it's the end of the season, let's go to Hamden and pick up the Cup. But I'm not going to pick that for tonight's show, because um, we want to focus more on the early rounds of the Cup. So the one I'm going to plump for is a tie at St Johnston's, St Johnston's old, St. Johnston's old ground, Muirton Park, back in 1988. Now around that time, St Johnston who'd been up in the Premier League in 83-84, had fallen all the way down to the lowest uh, level in Scottish football. So this was a, a big tie for, for St Johnson, made more so by the fact that we'd just signed Charlie Nicholas and crowds were being bumped up around the country. You know, 7,000 travelling Dons fans at Easter Road for his debut, 20,000 inside Pataudry for his home debut against Dunfermline the week after. So um, all-ticket game, 
10,000 pounds, 10,000 fans inside a ramshackle falling down Newton Park. I mean, this place was on its last legs. I think they had to spend a bit of money before the tie to put in segregation fences to allow the game to go ahead. So there was a big atmosphere about the place, about the city really, that I remember. Going down, uh, typical cold, bit wet January day. Uh, and as I say, St Johnston in the lower leagues, they're possibly right down in uh, Division 2, which was the lowest division at that point, maybe back up uh, into the first. But either way, uh, a typically Porterfield performance by the Dons, just just about scrambling to a 1-0 win with a late Bobby Connor goal after a, <laughs> a fairly tepid 90 minutes beforehand. So the game itself doesn't stick in the memory, but uh, the occasion did. It was a... It felt like going to, you wouldn't consider St Johnson a wee club these days, but back then it, it did certainly feel like going to a proper ramshackle old stadium, uh, back when Petaudry wasn't a ramshackle old stadium, which it currently looks like, and um, yeah, just a whole different change of pace from, from going to Petaudry. So, uh, so 1988, I'm taking us back to, um, I think that couple on that season ended, us, uh, ended up with us going out as Often our cut runs did, going out to Dundee United after about 17 replays. Uh, but fortunately, we only had to wait two more years to, to a Scottish Cup triumph in 1990. When we'd gone four years between Scottish Cup wins, which seemed like an eternity back then. Yeah. Yeah, can't really can't really add much to that. Um, that brings an end to our show for, for this week, this evening. Um, it just means for me to thank Richard Hay. Thanks again, Richard. Thank you, Martin. Thanks very much for Grant Fiskin for joining us as well. Cheers, man. We'll be back after the Scottish Cup game with another show for you. Thanks very much. Good night and come on, you Reds.